Well everybody, what's the crack and welcome back to episode number 21 of the Inline G Flute Podcast with me, your host, motherfucking Inline G. It's me again, all on my own, on my lonesome again, another week on this podcast without a guest, which to be honest was the way this podcast was intended when it was birthed a mere 21 weeks ago. It was always meant to be a solo podcast with the odd guests coming on, but then I've spoiled you with guests. I've brought more guests on. They've been good guests, and I've had you salivating at the idea of more, and there will be more. I will be spoiling you a lot in the future. I know I say that every week, but it takes a while to get this planning together, but there's some big things coming up. There should be one on next week. Next week should be a guest episode. I'm hoping if I get my, if I get my shit together in time, but this podcast is going to the fucking moon, lads. We are shooting off, and you guys, you're all coming along for the ride. This podcast is going places. Jump on this bandwagon, because this podcast is making murmurs in the flute world. I don't know if any of you guys listen to Talking Flutes. If you don't, you absolutely should. It's a great podcast. The OG, original, real shit flute podcast. It's with uh, John Paul Wright. He works with Trevor James Flutes. It's an incredible podcast. It's on like episode 270, I think. It talks about everything and anything. I don't know how he's managed to get 270 episodes worth of content and still keep going. It's superb. But anyway, on Talking Flutes this week, they talked about this podcast. So we were mentioned on it. And I've mentioned his podcast many times. So to see that come full circle has been great. And I believe, I believe I was mentioned on The Flute Space, which is also a new podcast. Launched around the same time this one did. Those guys are over in Belgium. They're doing a great job. That's an interview podcast with different flute players in Europe. Um, it's brilliant. It's really good. You should see the list of guests they've got on that podcast so far. It's incredible. They're getting everyone and anyone in the flute world. Anyone who, everyone who is anyone, not anyone. Um, but anyway, they had an episode out last week with Sophia Neugebauer, who I've talked about many times in this podcast. I do not have to reiterate my admiration for Sophia. She is, oh man, rock and roll as fuck. She's like Blondie if Blondie played the flute. Or Debbie Harry, if you're so inclined. Um, apparently, they talked about me in the podcast, but I haven't heard it yet. I've only heard the first 20 minutes, and I haven't got that far yet. So, we are going places. The Flute Word's talking about this podcast. So if anyone has Emmanuel Bau's number out there, do you want to fire it across to me? I'll send him a message at 3 o'clock in the morning. Hey, you up? <laughs> hey, you want to do a podcast? Hey, kid, you want to buy a podcast? I'd have him fucking tortured, man. Have you give me his number after a few drinks on this podcast? I'd be ringing him live. Go Instagram live and ring Bau and ask him if he come on. But yeah, we're going upwards, we're going onwards, this podcast is going to the moon, and you guys are coming with me for the ride, because the community on this podcast is so special, and it's growing, and I'm so appreciative you guys are here. I'm talking to you, I'm interacting with you, I need to find more ways to get you guys involved in it, I've already started thinking on that. But this is the empathetic, compassionate, and downright fucking funny corner of the flute world. The corner that the flute world needed for so long, we're a part of that. And as this podcast gets bigger and better, you guys are coming along for the ride. I'm keeping you involved in it. You're going to be active in it. I'm telling you, by the end of next year, this will be the biggest flute podcast going. Maybe not even the end of next year. Give it a couple of months. A couple bit more big guests and this podcast will go, go to the fucking moon, baby. So I will be having more guests. I've got a list already. I've contacted a few people already. The three people I wanted to get on are all coming on. So that's three already. Um, I will be drinking too much on the podcast with them. And I will be asking them questions I probably shouldn't ask them. But that's the way it is here. And also, I always tell my guests when they come on, we can delete certain parts of it. So, that's it. The scheduling takes a while to get those episodes together. So we're back to a solo episode today. I need to be more careful with my scheduling because recently I've made a few mistakes on this podcast. 
couple of errors, a couple of factual inaccuracies in this podcast. But you know what? It's my podcast. I do what I fucking want. I'm the writer, director, and star of this show. If anyone's going to discipline me, it's me. If there's going to be a disciplinary hearing, I'm going to do it. And you know what? There's going to be no tribunal. In fact, I think I've done an excellent job. So good a job. I'm going to give myself a fucking promotion. But anyway, yes, guests are coming on. But we're solo today. And today... Right, so we've had a couple of solo episodes recently. I've talked a lot about social issues and quite serious topics. But that was, although it's been great and very fulfilling, it's fucking draining me, lads, and I need something a bit more upbeat. So we're back to flute core today. Hardcore, diving into the flute world, ankles first, getting our hair wet, and just having a fucking great time. So today we're going to be tackling probably one of the greatest myths in the flute world. I'm sure you've all heard it if you play the flute, is... Did Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart hate the flute? Spoiler alert, of course he fucking didn't. Hello, like, but, like, if he was alive now, he'd be a guest on this podcast. He'd be begging to come on. He'd be knocking my door, and then we'd be getting here drinking, well, what did they drink in those days? Probably beer, anyway. We'd be drinking wine, and mead, we'd drink mead. We'd have a fucking glass, a blast, talking about farts in this podcast. He'd be here. He loves the flute. And, yeah. Well, we're going to explore that myth. Did he hate the flute? I'm going to see where it came from, where it went, etc, etc. I'm going to go through what he actually did write for the flute. And then, as usual, at the end, I'm going to give you a couple of recordings to listen to. To get your ears wet. Um, we're going to try and squeeze all that into 40 minutes. Because that's a new target for this podcast. So, go pour yourselves a gin and Fanta and strap in. So, here we go. Um, sorry, I was going to take a sip of my coffee. You did hear me right, I said coffee. So, Mozart hating the flute. I'm not going to be explaining who Mozart is on this episode. There's no need to do that, okay? We're on a deadline here. We've only got 40 minutes. And if you don't know, give it a Google. If you don't know, where the fuck have you been? How do you not know who Mozart is? But probably the greatest composer ever, or at least in the top three, along with um, Johann Sebastian Bach and Ludwig van Beethoven. Um, but, Mozart hating the flute. This has became a real trope. You can Google this straight away, Mozart flute, and you will get that Mozart hated it. And you hear it all the time in music college. Everyone says it. It's everyone's favourite thing to talk about in the flute world and Mozart. And there's only one reason why we all say this. And it was a letter Mozart wrote to his dad. Now, Mozart was in Mannheim at the time when he wrote this letter. Mannheim is actually not far from where I am in Köln here. It's down near Frankfurt direction. You know, it's on this side of Germany. It's former West Germany. It's a shithole for all intents and purposes, but most of Germany is. He was down there in 1778. And he wrote this letter, this famous letter to his father, on Valentine's Day, no less. Imagine writing letters to your dad about the flute when you should be out there getting your own flute. <laughs> so he wrote, um, I've got the letter here. This is what he wrote. This is where all these myths about the flute come from. So he says, I never have a quiet hour here. Besides, one is not always in the mood for working. I could certainly scribble things the whole day long, but when a composition of this kind goes out into the world, naturally I do not want to be ashamed of my name on the title page. Moreover, you know I am quite powerless to write for an instrument, which I cannot bear. Now he was referring to the flute here. So let's give the context. First thing, 1778, what age is Mozart? He's 22. Nice, he's 22 years of age. So maybe take a little bit of a pinch of salt with what a 22-year-old says in a letter. My actual, swear to God this is true, right hand, hand across my dick. 
my actual Facebook memories today came up from when I was 22 and my actual status that I posted at 3.47 in the morning was, this was eight years ago, was Buzz, your girlfriend, woof, which is that scene from Home Alone where I think I'd been out with a few friends and I got home and watched Home Alone blocked and then <laughs> it's that scene where Kevin takes the picture out of it and he goes, Buzz, your girlfriend, woof, <laughs> and I just typed it out my Facebook status and went to bed. That's what I was doing when I was 22. So do not judge people on their behaviour based on what they did when they were 22. Give them some space. Now, context of what he wrote this letter for. He was on his way to Paris. Obviously, back in them days, there was no Ryanair or Flixbus, so he was horse and carriage from Austria all the way over to Paris. Now, that's a queer trek. That's going to take a good while. So he stopped over in Mannheim for a couple of months. It's about halfway there. While he's in Mannheim, he meets a local physician and an amateur flute player, and apparently a very shite flute player called Ferdinand, I don't know if it's Dijon or Dijin, it's, I'm going to say it's probably Dijon or something because he's Dutch, but I'm not going to try and butcher the Dutch accent, so we'll say Ferdinand Dijin, I think that's probably the closest. Again, this is the kind of thing I could have researched before I started recording. I fucked up Sebastian Jacko's name the last time doing this exact thing, but anyway. So, he meets Ferdinand Dijin Mozart, and Ferdinand Dijin comes to him and says, listen, I know you're Mozart, I play the flute. I'm going to give you 200 quid, or 200 gold pieces, but we'll call it quid, 200 quid to write me three concertos and a couple of flute quartets. So three flute quartets, a couple of, or sorry, three flute concertos and a couple of flute quartets. That was the deal. Now, when he says flute quartet, what he means is not four flutes. He means a string quartet lineup where the first violin is replaced by the flute. So it's a quartet of flute, violin, viola, and cello. Okay. Not for four flutes. He's not insane. There's no such thing as a good composition for four flutes. Unless Gary Shocker wrote it. Um, Saved himself there, didn't I? So what does Mozart do? He writes two concertos and three quartets. And the guy only pays him 104 quid. So Mozart said, listen, I'll finish them. I'm on my way to Paris here, but I'll finish the last concerto. And I'll send it over to you. But you've got to pay me now. You've got to give me the money up front. And... Also, you have to remember, Mozart famously doesn't want to disappoint his dad. Mozart's father was very strict with him, and Mozart always wanted to impress his father, um, so he didn't want to upset him. So with this letter to his dad, he was probably sending this letter also to kind of take the edge off any potential backlash and not piss his dad off too much. Um, and nextly, he didn't get paid. Now, fair enough, he didn't do the work, but th- that would annoy you, because you're only 22, so you probably get a little bit wound up um, and you say things you shouldn't say in a letter. Now, there actually is a word for this or a term for this phenomenon. It's called reaction formation. You get psychology in this podcast as well. Reaction formation is the superficial adoption and exaggeration of ideas and impulses that are diametrically opposed to one's own. It's a very fancy way of saying you get so wound up at something that you behave in a way that seems like the opposite of what you really think. Now, the classic example of that, of reaction formation, is when you're away and you fancied someone, you liked them so much that you would pick on them. So if you liked the girl, you liked the boy, or you liked a member of your desired gender, you would pick on them because you fancied them. So you'd bully them a wee bit. That's an example of that. You don't want to bully them, but you're behaving in a way that's totally opposed to what you actually feel. Or, for example, how there might be a very handsome Irish podcast host who has a flute podcast and talks about the importance of empathy and compassion and then calls people a witch on the internet. <laughs> so, so uh, 
that's it. That's why I think Mutter didn't really mean it. He was in a bad mood about not getting paid. He was trying to impress his dad. He wrote this letter in a rage and that was the only time he said he didn't like the flute. Now, again, he didn't get paid. He didn't actually do the work, which is a little bit ridiculous. But still, 22. I got pissed off at a lot worse at 22. So that's the only thing he said about hating the flute. And what he actually wrote for the flute would suggest totally otherwise to the opinion that he didn't like it because he did some pretty sweet stuff for the flute before we get into that second section normally this is where i cut the podcast but i'm getting so professional now uh quickly what am i drinking this week well it's actually it's 14 minutes past 14 on a wednesday afternoon guys and i've got to teach all night tonight i'm teaching at nine o'clock and then i've got a another podcast recording after that i can't get on the booze at this time because it'll all be downhill from there if i start drinking at this time that's it it's out the window so i've got a delicious cup of coffee I know, the shock on this podcast when you hear them drinking coffee. I promise I'll be back on the booze next week and we'll be having some crack. But look, I'm, I've drank too much coffee. So I've got the the energy and the, the anxiety in the post. That's coming later. The jitters and the anxiety are on the post, in the post. But that's what we're drinking out of a beautiful raccoon mug, which my best friend Jad bought me. Um, and that is our quick moment to say about supporting the podcast. I know the people who listen to this podcast every week you get bored of this, so go ahead and skip to the next section. You know what I'm going to say. But for people who aren't familiar with this podcast, this podcast is 100% free. It will always be 100% free. I will never introduce a service where you will get more content if you pay. Never. Everyone will get the same podcast and the same content for free. Very strongly believe in that. But if you do wish to donate to this podcast, you can. There is a link in the bio, whatever you're listening to or watching this podcast. If you head over to my instagram page gareth houston flute the link in bio you can find a link to buy me a dr pepper now what that means is what i recommend if you enjoy the podcast if you're listening to this and you think fuck that was brilliant if i saw gareth in a pub i'd buy him a pint or if i saw him out and about and i'd buy him a coffee if i saw him and say thank you i love your podcast it was great do you mind if i buy your coffee there you can go and do that now the way i view it is i make four episodes a month you're getting an episode every week that's roughly about four hours of content per month if you can donate one coffee or one Dr. Pepper or one pint per month, brilliant. That's five quid or three quid a month usually, something around that, whatever it is in your country. But about three quid a month, three pounds, three euros, three dollars, whatever it is. And you'll get four podcasts out of that. And it's better that than paying fucking Netflix. Although Netflix does have the crown at the minute, which is banging. So yeah, you can go and donate to the podcast if you like. It is incredibly appreciated. It does motivate me to make more episodes. It allows me now to start turning down a little bit of work to concentrate on this podcast, which is a very, very nice position. Last month, I made... Do you know what? I'll tell you how much I made. Last month, this podcast made 37 euros, which is fucking incredible because that's still... I paid my internet bill last month. So this podcast now covers my internet bill. And it means that I can have the luxury of turning down one student if I need to, to concentrate on this podcast writing for an hour. Because I've made the same amount of money as I would for an hour's teaching. So, there we are. That's the goal of this podcast. And it means I can make more content and make better content. And if you can't afford it, that's fine. You can listen for free. It's not meant to be paid for. It's a system that's just based on niceness and soundness. Very not much how the Blind Boy podcast works. Anyway, back into this. Mozart's flute works. So what did Mozart actually write for the flute? Apart from obviously all the symphonies and operas and stuff, having the flute as a part of it, 
specifically for the flute. He wrote two concertos, four quartets, a flute and harp concerto, and an andante and rondo for flute and orchestra. Now that's quite a lot of works. Concertos, for quickly, for those who don't know, a concerto is a three-movement piece, usually around 20 minutes-ish, where the soloist will stand in front of the orchestra. So it's a piece for soloist and orchestra. The soloist gets all the main lines, they stand in front, and the orchestra accompanies them. Usually orchestras will hire a big, famous player to come in and do their concertos. So it's a very big work for flute and orchestra. It's kind of the height of what you can get as a classical musician as a soloist, is concertos. And there aren't many flute concertos from that time. Beethoven wrote pretty much fuck all from the flute, apart from that thing, the variation on themes of some Irish music, it's absolute dog shit, it's horrible. Um, Haydn didn't really write much for the flute. Schubert wrote the, the variations on Tocknerblumen, but kind of shite as well, to be totally honest. Uh, like, shite for Schubert. It's great flute repertoire, but it's not really the best Schubert ever wrote. There's nothing from this era, but Mozart wrote two concertos. And his last ever opera was called, of course, Die Zauberflöte, which is the magic flute. Very famous opera. The story of, believe it or not, a magic flute. Which I have heard... It's so nice I do a flute podcast where people are not making those jokes. Because every time I talk about the magic flute, people are like, oh, can I see your magic flute? Every one of them, everyone. My girlfriend's a rat for it. says it all the time. Now, he wrote two concertos. This is where we have to talk about this. Mozart wrote two concertos, but he was a sneaky wee bastard, right? Because he was commissioned to write two concertos. Now, he wrote a concerto, the first one. The first Mozart flute concerto was in G major, K313, I think, 313 or 314. Anyway, Mozart flute concerto in G major. He wrote that. Brilliant. Now, he starts on the second one, and instead of writing a concerto, he literally takes his oboe concerto and puts it on flute. So he takes the same exact piece, which is written in C major, transposes it up to D major and calls the flute concerto. There's a couple of small alterations, like very small minor ones, but it's the exact same piece of music. If you think I'm joking, I'm fucking not. Go on to Spotify, search for the Mozart oboe concerto. There's only one. Listen to the first few bars of the first movement. Switch over and go to the Mozart flute concerto number two in D major. Exact same piece the whole way through. All three movements, all 20 odd minutes of it. Whatever it is, 15 minutes, isn't it? Um, exactly the same piece, which is a little bit... That's that's cowboy composition. Like, that's proper cowboy. That's dodgy. I would have loved to have seen... Or loved to know if Ferdinand the Gene ever, like, found out that the second concerto that he had paid for was actually just noble concerto. And Mozart just copied it. Like, I, I love the idea of him coming to Mozart and going, like, excuse me, that this is the exact same thing. And Mozart's like, well, you did, you did technically say two concertos but you didn't say they have to be original so if you think about it technically your fault for not mentioning it you know and while we're while we're on the topic actually 200 gold pieces that was actually per movement if you look in the contract and that's a standard fee in the industry i have done three movements per piece yesterday was a bank holiday so that's going to be time and a half as well so your overall bill is going to be a wee bit higher, I'm afraid, on that one. Fucking <laughs> Mozart's proper cowboy composing, man. It is so rude as well to just take <laughs> something you wrote before and just go, yeah, fuck it, there's your flute concerto. I wrote it last year, fuck it. There you are, take that. It was brilliant. Um, anyway, I don't know if he got away with it. I don't know if Ferdinand Jean ever found out. I haven't got that. My research hasn't got that deep yet. So, yeah, Mozart got paid 104 quid instead, and that's probably fair. Um... On the note of quid, I hope you all understand when I say quid, it's like slang term for money, 
you know, the way you guys say bucks in America, we say quid in the UK and Northern Ireland for starting. But I remember once we were going to Northern Ireland. I was going with my girlfriend and my best friend, Jad, was coming over. She's a French girl. And they were, so, they were talking about, like, is Northern Ireland euros or is it sterling? And Jad said, oh, no. My, my girlfriend said, what's the, what's the currency in Northern Ireland again? And Jad went, quid. <laughs> I think she genuinely believed that that's what the currency was called. <laughs> but staying term anyway for money. Anyway, let's continue on. The both both concertos are incredible. They're gorgeous pieces of music. They really are. And yeah. I often compare Mozart's music to the music of the Beatles. There's a few reasons for that. First of all, it's genuinely timeless. Um, the Beatles will never go out of style. They won't even drop into obscurity briefly for a small time. They're one of the top streamed artists on Spotify consistently every year. Their music, there's so many cover bands. Their music constantly sells out. Ever since the, what, 1960 essentially when the Beatles were starting to rock. So, yeah. The Beatles are purely timeless. And Mozart is exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. You know, there was a new, if we found a new Mozart composition, it'd probably get the same reaction as that new Beatles tune that came out last week did. It'd be huge. Uh, Mozart is consistently the most performed composer worldwide for fucking 250 years now. So he's not gone out of fashion anytime soon. Um, And... Both music as well, Mozart and the Beatles, they both have this kind of graceful positivity that does appeal not only to all ages, but all stages of your life. Certain music you feel is only suitable for certain points in your life. You know, dad rocks at some stage. You know, My Chemical Romance rather another. Even in classical style, I don't listen to Shostakovich as much as I used to when I was younger. Um, I wouldn't listen to as much of the dark Beethoven piano status. I'm more Mozart or more light classical or Baroque a lot these days. My taste has changed, but Mozart was always there. And the Beatles are the same. They sort of come with you through every stage of your life, so they're always relevant. Um, And I think most importantly, neither the Beatles nor Mozart ever wrote anything shite. Ever. They both wrote wrote a lot of stuff. Like, a mountain of stuff. Like, you think... um, Like, there is certain things both of them have wrote that is better than others. There's no doubt about that. The Beatles had some great songs, obviously, you know, the things like Hey Jude and anything by George Harrison, something, and um, Here Comes the Sun, that one. Um, Anything by George Harrison, and yeah, most of the Paul McCartney ones. I'm not a big fan of the Lennon ones, to be honest, but they're all great. So there's some really great Beatles songs, and there's some not-so-great ones, but they're still great songs. They're just not-so-great for the Beatles. You know, a lot of the stuff off Magical Mystery Tour, not a massive fan of. Um, but then pretty much anything on Rubber Soul for me is perfect. So they've got a hit and miss, but the miss is never is still better than everyone else. And Mozart's the same. Mozart is exactly the same. Mozart wrote well over 600 compositions, 41 symphonies. Apparently there, there's even a theory now that he wrote something like 68 symphonies and we're discovering more of them or they've been lost, but 41 published symphonies. And yeah, if we look at the symphonies alone, they're not all the Jupiter Symphony or the G minor number 40. They're not all that great. But even the lesser ones are still way beyond what any other composer could ever fucking dream of. It was always great. There's zero shite in anything. Mozart or the Beatles. Apart from that one Beatles song by Ringo. Apart from that. Now obviously that's academic and factual. And this is all true as God. What I'm saying. This is not opinionated is what I'm trying to say. So I'm going to rate the Mozart works for flute. So you can get an idea of where I think they sit. On that scale of great, great Mozart and sort of good for Mozart but great in general 
So if we're ranking it from the bottom up, the bottom flute works, the flute quartets, all the flute quartets apart from the D major one, which is banging. So all the other flute quartets, they're Mozart, they're wonderful music, but if you're going to pick a piece to work on or if you're going to listen to it, I would avoid them ones. Never really did it for me. They're lovely, but it's not peak Mozart by any stretch of the imagination. Next up, I would put the D major concerto. It is a stunning concerto. It's brilliant, but it was written for oboe. So the oboe version, honestly, I think is better. Depends who's playing it as well, but it sounds better in C major to me. It works better. That's my opinion. Next up, the G major concerto, flute concerto number one. Now that is, we're getting into good Mozart, good for Mozart. We're not at a genius Mozart, but it's strong music. I think the first four bars of the flute part in the first movement, which come, when the flute comes in, usually about one minute in, the first movement, shit. It's the only thing Mozart wrote that I think is actually badly written, but it's only a couple of bars, and then after that it's away. It's just the first phrase. The dum 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 dee dum dum. I think it's terribly written. Although I have found a trick for it, which I'm going to talk about at some other time. Um about how to phrase that because it really worked for me i'll get into that in another episode but the second movement of the g major concerto go listen to that mozart flute concerto number one g major second movement the very start of it is identical to the blue danube i in my opinion every time i hear it it sounds like the start of the blue danube but slower and the blue danube shite so mozart did it first next up on the scale the andante the andante rondo thing that mozart wrote for flute and orchestra now this is this is B-side Mozart. If Mozart were alive today and he brought out any kind of knack music on a single, this would make it onto the B-side. It's that kind of level. It's not his greatest thing, but it is beautifully graceful, lovely, gorgeous Mozart. But just after that is the D major flute quartet. Now, I fucking adore the D major flute quartet. And I think we're getting into territory now of very good Mozart. Not one of his top five pieces of all time, but very, very good Mozart. Mozart's at his best in this composition. The movements are so free and flowing and positive, And they've got these beautiful little turns at moments you don't expect them just to keep you engaged and interested. They're so colorful. They're so light. They're so fun. It's got that beautiful adagio slow movement in it. It's just, it's superb. It's absolutely superb. So yeah, as I said, the flute quartet is written for a flute as the solo part, violin, uh, viola, and cello. As opposed to a normal string quartet, which would be two violins, viola, cello. Um, it's brilliant. It's really, really superb music. And it's one of his best works. And he wrote it for the flute. It's in there is really good Mozart. So he didn't hit the flute. But the best piece ever written for flute by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is quite obviously the concerto for flute and harp. Didn't mention it earlier, my flute works actually, I forgot to say that, but the flute and harp concerto, so it's a double concerto, it's written for flute and harp. This is master Mozart. This is Mozart at his absolute best. This is one of the great Mozart works, in my opinion. It is absolutely stunning. If you've ever seen that movie, Amadeus, about Mozart's life, there's even a couple of beautiful scenes in it where it's mentioned and Salieri talks about it, you can hear it in his head and stuff. It's that good. You know, that movie obviously just picks the biggest hits from Mozart's career, which is a lot of. The fact that the slow movement of that concerto makes it in is incredible. So it's a three-movement concerto, as most concertos are. The middle movement, fast movement, slow movement, fast movement. I love all three, but the slow movement in particular is, oh my god, gorgeous. It's actually sitting open on my stand right now. 
You can see it over there. Um, it is incredible. That is master Mozart. So it's orchestra with the flute and harp at the front. The harp, I don't know much about writing for the harp or reading for the harp. Um, I've been told it's not the best writing for the harp. And I see if there's an instrument Mozart didn't like, it's probably the harp. Because this is his only work for the harp. But the flute part is scintillating. It is absolutely stunning. Um, and there is a couple of great recordings of that. Which I didn't mention in my list of recordings. But maybe I'll remember when I get down there. Now, before we get into the recordings of Mozart that you should listen to. The best flute recordings in my opinion. Not in my opinion. Factually speaking, the best flute recordings of Mozart. Um, there is one very important thing we have to know about Mozart writing for the flute. And that is the instrument itself he was writing for. The modern flute, which the video watchers can see here. Um, one of, like, the flute. The flute, you know, has the keys on it. Has loads of keys. I don't know how many keys. Has a shitload of keys on it. That style of instrument only started popping up a Theobald boom in, like, 18, late 1800s, early 1900s. That's when this flute came about. Now, Mozart clocked out, popped his clogs in 1791. So he was nowhere near this flute. The flute Mozart was writing for was usually wooden, and it was it looked almost like an Irish traditional flute, much smaller embouchure, hole to blow into, and just holes instead of keys. There was a couple of keys on them. There was maybe one or two buttons, one or two, sometimes three. I don't think I don't know exactly where we were when he was writing that concerto, where um, where the development of the classical flute was, but it was between zero keys and a couple, not many. And to be honest, the classical flutes from that time, bit shite. They are a bit shite. I know I'm going to offend a lot of people when I say that. They're shite instruments. There's a reason why we use these flutes these days. Now, there's a couple of problems with them. They're very quiet. They don't have the dynamic range of a modern flute at all. Um, there's not as many notes on them. So it's very hard to play chromatic uh, chromatic passages. And Yeah, you can play as many notes on them. And the tuning, the intonation on them is fucking... It's, it's wild. Now, it's an incredibly difficult instrument to play. I cannot play it to save my life. Not even close. Now, there is a revival of these instruments as well. There's a lot of period instruments where people want to perform on the exact instruments that Mozart had to recreate the sound. If it's played well, the classical flute or the Baroque flute is gorgeous. It's maybe even better than the modern instrument if it's played well. But it's fucking rare it's played well. I mean fucking rare. There's a handful of players that can do it. It is a lot of work. It is incredible dedication. And it just takes, it takes someone incredibly special to get that quality out of it. So... Players that can play like that. Rachel Brown, I've talked about in this podcast, sort of the the queen of the Baroque flute world. Um, Alexis Kosenko in France is doing a great job. And my personal favourite is Bartol Kuykin, which I'll talk about in a minute. So otherwise the instrument was quite shite. So Mozart was quite limited in what he could have wrote for the instrument. If he had this instrument, it would have been totally different. And if he had players like Emmanuel Pau. I think we would have seen a lot more flute concertos and a lot more things. The violin, for example, which he wrote a lot for, didn't change that much since then so yeah anyway recordings for mozart the recordings you should listen to flute recordings of mozart um now i know what you're all thinking i can read your minds in this podcast because i say the same fucking thing every episode but you're all thinking here we go he's gonna mention that fucking french woman again that he talks about in every episode and you're fucking right i am that's exactly what i'm gonna do my number one mozart version is of course by Magali Mounier. Because everything I recommend is by her. If she's done it, that's the one I would go to. Cannot tell you enough how fucking good she is. She did an album called Mozart, simply, in 2015. It was with the München Kammerorchester, so the Munich Chamber Orchestra. 
It's got both flute concertos on it. It's got one movement of the Mozart D major flute quartet, the good one. It's got one movement, the stone movement, which is gorgeous. It's on there. And it's got the Andante from the Andante and Rondo for orchestra and flute. Beautiful. And it's even got a couple of arias, Mozart opera arias, which have been written for flute. So they're originally songs from the opera and they've been arranged to be played on the flute. One of those arias, very fittingly, to end the album comes from the Taberflute, the magic flute. So it is an incredible album. It's not your standard Mozart album. There's a lot of fresh things on it. I think it's very light. It's very energetic. It's very fresh, vibrant. It's a different flavour to Mozart. And to me, it's more like the Mozart I imagine. If you haven't seen the movie Amadeus, first of all, you really should see it. But it reminds me, the way she plays reminds me of the character of Mozart in that. That kind of silly, stupid, bit of a wanker, but not too self, not too self-aware. Um, that's the way she plays Mozart and that's the way she treats Mozart. And it is incredible. Sorry, my nipples are showing. It's fucking freezing in here. I'm feeling pointing out of this. 1990 Germany, Tom. For the, for the video watchers, you've got a treat today. For the audio listeners, you're just going to have to use your imagination. <laughs> um, right, two more recordings of Mozart and the Flute. Um, Bartold Kuyiken. Now, Bartold is a Dutch guy. Uh, he's been on the scene for a very long time. He's been recording albums since well, late 80s, early 90s, certainly. He's a Baroque flute player, Baroque and classical. So he plays the period instrument that Mozart would have written for originally. He's one of the very few players that plays that instrument that I think is good. And I don't just think he's good. I think he's one of the best flute players in the world, without doubt. He is unbelievable. Now, he did an album called Mozart Flute Concertos, recorded in 1990. It's on Spotify. Now, I'll put the name in the description because spelling his name, it is Dutch. It can take a wee bit of time. Um, it's with the period instrument group as well. So the whole orchestra or the smaller orchestra. Because Mozart's time, the orchestras he would have wrote for are much smaller than the orchestras we have now. Um... They're playing period instruments as well in this recording. So they're playing the instruments from Mozart's time. So this is the way to hear what Mozart would have heard from these concertos. What the period at that time. Um, the period instrument group is called Le Petit Bond. And yeah, I think his brother is conducting. I have to check on that. I think his brother conducts. I have to double check that. Certainly another Quiquen. He's got a, lot, a few siblings to play. Or relatives anyway. But this is peak Baroque classical flute playing so it's it's exquisite it is absolutely exquisite i've met him once in italy a few years ago and i went to watch his class he is an absolute sweetheart he knows fucking everything about the flute and about this period of music and he has zero ego absolutely zero for someone who's so good as well it amazes me that you can be that good in an instrument and not be a dickhead about it because if i was that good at anything oh my god i'd be found dead at the age of 31 face down in a bag of chili heat wave Doritos <laughs> after alcohol poisoning so he he's incredibly admirable he's he's brilliant really I cannot rant and rave about him enough I think he's the best classical player like classical flute in terms of the instrument classical baroque classical period of that instrument there there is in the world so go listen to the recording even just for yourself to hear what it sounded like what Mozart would have heard and really high level because if you just google baroque or classical flute Mozart freaking shout or something like that shit um most of them are a bit shit. But this one is... Oh. So, yeah. Bartoko again. Mozart freaking try to go check that out. And... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I wrote down here as well. It's a gateway drug into the classical or Baroque flute world. It's a way to get into it because it's so good you can't not enjoy it. Now, the last recording. Very, 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 very different. 
One of my personal favourites, it's by a guy called Mikhail Martin Kuffler, German fella, obviously. Um, I think he still plays with the orchestra in Munich. I'm not going to say that for sure because I said the same thing about Adam Walker still playing for the LSO and I made a balls of that, as people have pointed out. So I'm not going to say that he still plays in the Munich orchestra, but he did for a long time in the radio orchestra down there. Anyway, he did record an album in 2015. It's actually, I think it's officially on Spotify, it's a single but yeah, because it's only the Mozart G major concerto. So three movements, you know, 20 minutes, whatever it is. It was with the Südwestdeutsches Kammer Orchestra from Pforzheim, which is actually near Mannheim, where the piece was actually written, which is quite cool, I find. So yeah, Michael Martin Koffler, Koffler G major one. Now this, he, the sound of his flute, he plays in a modern instrument, it's a modern orchestra, it's all back to usual now, business as usual. He has got a really ballsy rich wah, dark modern sound heavy and a really blistering technique and a lot of edge to his sound this articulation is so crisp that's what i would listen for when you're listening to this recording is just how clean the starting notes are they're beautiful it's like it's just it's like a laser on every single note very rich sound very very rich in harmonics very vibrant big dark sound not unlike something like Jimmy Galway, but, but richer, darker than Jimmy. Not as brilliant, but darker. Um, but, and there's a huge but, because I can see a few of you going, oh, for fuck's sake, I don't want to listen to that. Um, the, there's a lightness and a, like a freshness in the phrasing. So the way he chooses to play the music, he uses a very light phrasing, which... You would think on paper with that really heavy dark sound and a light classical style of phrasing, it wouldn't mix. They're two opposite things, but they actually just go together beautifully, like peanut butter and jelly, which I've never actually had, because we call it jam. Um, never had that. And Or like kippers and custard, that old British classic. Beautiful. Actually, I've, I, fuck's sake, I've actually wrote down a fucking comparison a food comparison i wrote this like two o'clock in the morning i forgot i wrote down this on my laptop think of it like a gordon ramsay beef wellington so it should feel very 80s but there's just enough of a freshness and a modern twist to not make it feel dated so you still know it's a beef wellington when gordon gordon makes a beef wellington there's a couple of little things he does to the recipe just to bring it back into the modern century but you still know what it is it hasn't changed the dish this is the same with coffers mozart recordings it is a very rich, almost 80 sounding album of that kind of style of flute playing, but there's just enough to bring it into the modern world and to keep it from dating to the 80s. It is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. It's wonderful. So, all the recording links are going to be in the bio. My timer here says we're at 38 minutes, 39 minutes, probably a few seconds less, but no, 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 no. So, Thank you for tuning in. Again, me and Wolfie here talking shit. That's Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and the Flute. He didn't hate the flute. Don't listen to anyone says that did. As usual, come to me for your source on all factual things because I never get anything wrong. That's a lie. I've made a bollocks of this podcast so many times. I've enjoyed this. This has been a really fun episode. It's been a blast. And the next time I see you, it will be for a guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet. You'll find out on the time. It's going to be a very special episode because I think we are intending to record late at night on the night where at midnight it will go into my birthday so i might plan something special for myself 
in any case i'll be very drunk so thank you guys for listening have a wonderful weekend if you're listening on the friday if you're listening to this at some point in the future tell me what the world is like have the chinese taken over if you're listening this weekend on what the 25th or 24th november have a great time have a lovely weekend um tell me you listen to the episode thank you for the donations if you've donated thank you so much um i try to thank everyone that donates if i recognize your name i will obviously but if i don't please don't take it personally i I would message you i just haven't found you yet so if you've donated and you haven't got a message from me fire me a message and just say oh hey it's me and i will be very i want to know who you are i want to build the community around here so stick with me guys inline fucking g right i'm waiting for this coffee and i don't know what i'm gonna do for the rest of the day we'll find out I'm going to finish this coffee. Guys, have a wonderful weekend. It was a pleasure. Viva Mozart. Mwah.